Hi, this is Carly Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. This is episode 30. We are on the top of page 80. We are reading about step 9. We're going to go over different parts of step 9. The most important thing I have to share out of my experience with step 9 is that this has to be done with a sponsor who works out of the book and who can guide me in each part of my amends because it's so dangerous. I'm going out to make amends with the people I've harmed and I don't want to cause further harm. On the top of 80, I bracketed that small paragraph and I wrote on the way top, use your sponsor, exclamation mark. Use your sponsor. And then on the top of the paragraph, I wrote business trouble. So this is what we do if we've gotten in trouble in the business world or if we got in trouble that implicates somebody else. And I wrote on the side, what we do, what we do if we have an amends that implicates others. What we do if we have an amends that implicates others. So for example, if me and Becky and Jessica went into a liquor store and we robbed it when we were drinking and I feel horrible about it and it's been five years and I talk to my sponsor, we go over at my inventory and I find out that I've harmed them clearly and I need to make it right. I reach out to Jesse and Becca, I mean <laughs> Becky and Jessica, and they don't want me to name them. They're like, do not name me. They're not in recovery and they say, leave me alone. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And my sponsor tells me there's still another way to get free. And so I can go to that store, to the manager, and tell them what I did and offer to pay what I think it cost in my portion. And if the manager asks me, who else were you here with? It's not my place to say. I would just say that I don't know how to get in touch with the people and it's not my business to name them. I'm just here for myself. And um, this is what we do if we have an amends that implicates other people and they won't give us permission. I also wrote on the site, if we can't get permission, so if we have a situation where we cannot go make an amends because of something that's really an issue, if we can't get permission, I wrote, we find another way to get free. And there's some, there's a beautiful hope in that because the idea is that there's always a way to get free. There's not always going to be a way that to make everything equal. If God forbid I killed somebody with my car, I cannot bring that person back. I cannot make that pain go away for the family. But what I can do is spend the rest of my life going about and telling the story and making it right and living a life where I'm responsible and accountable and not driving and texting. Um, just, I wanted to say something about that. So I drove drunk and high many, many times in, when I was drinking and it was on my fourth step when I had to write my harms list I just wrote like the city of Cleveland even though I drove wherever I was I drove and it's a miracle that I didn't kill anybody so today I have two amends for that one is I don't drink and drive today but the other is I don't text on my phone and drive or play with my phone and drive I was driving today on a busy road and there were two young women in the car next to me and they both had their phones out they were staring at their phones one was the driver one was the passenger and they just happened to be operating a vehicle and had no clue that there were other cars around and I used to do that in sobriety and not necessarily like that but I was on my phone and with my kids in the car and I would take the pledge that I was not going to do it anymore and then I kept falling short and so I added to my 11 step questions at the end of the night 
did I touch my phone while I was driving? And I have that thing on my phone that sends people a message when they send me a text that I can't talk. And really, I don't need to touch my phone. If there's an emergency and I need to touch my phone, I can pull over. There's no reason why I need to be doing that. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because if I drink and drive, one of the ways I need to live my amends today in my 12-step is to not drive unsafely anymore. So it says, before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, asked God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. It says, this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. I bracketed the next paragraph and on the top of it I wrote, diminishing the power of God. And I love this idea, diminishing the power of God. I don't want to diminish what God is capable of with my help to do things to make things right. I just want to share something with you. It's so cool. So I'm doing this thank you every single day. I made this commitment where for a full year, it's not my idea. I stole it from somebody else, where for a full year, every single day, I'm going to thank somebody publicly um, in my life who's made my life brighter. And the majority of them are positive and maybe like 15 to 20% of them are people who've um, caused harm that have helped me get a lesson that was really good. Um, and the one I just recently did was... Um, to myself when I was a little girl they called me patch the pony because I had to wear a patch over my eye because my one of my eyes was lazy and I had glasses and it was embarrassing and I hated it and it was for years um and I thanked patch the pony because she taught me what what it feels like to be made fun of and it helps me as a parent but there is this one pit in my stomach about these two girls when I was in elementary school school who I made fun of and um it wasn't that I started it, but I was part of the group of kids that were making fun of. They were the same kids that made fun of me. And at these different times, they were making fun of these two girls. And I was so happy that they weren't making fun of me that I joined in. And my entire life, I felt horrible about it. Um, and when I wrote my Patch the Pony thank you, I wrote a separate message to both of these girls one of them read it and didn't respond, and the other one read it and said that she reads my words all the time. We're Facebook friends, and um, she's really inspired, but that I have no idea what it means to her that I said something. And I wrote back, no, I do have an idea because I was one of the kids that got made fun of too, and you deserved me standing up for you rather than joining in, and I, and I wish I could take that back. Um, and I'm free. I'm free because of that. It doesn't mean that I don't feel sad that I did that. I do. I wish I didn't do that. Um, I know what happened and why I did it, but I get to be free today because of that. And I'm 19 years sober. And that, that one was just kind of sitting there. I didn't know if I owed her a, you know, face to face and I'm sure I could have given her a face to face. It just felt appropriate at that time. I prayed about it and I did it and it was amazing. Um, so it says I underlined, the first sentence he felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right and that's that idea that I cannot diminish the power of God if he had opened that old affair he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner disgrace his family and take away his means of livelihood what right had he to involve those dependent upon him how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival 
And then I bracketed the next paragraph and I wrote on next to the word rival where there's that blank space. I wrote why I do step nine. So this is what I was talking about last week. This is why I do step nine. This is the deal breaker for me of why I'm willing to do the work even when it's scary. After consulting with his wife and partner, I underlined, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. I put a star next to he came to the conclusion, and I wrote on the side, if I don't do step nine, if I don't do step nine, I will die an alcoholic death. If I don't do step nine, I will die an alcoholic death. The reason why is because we will become blocked off from God again. All that stuff will be sitting in our hallway. We will feel very uncomfortable as a sober person who's not clearing up their hallway. Anytime someone talks about nine step or anytime we're trying to work with someone, we'll stop and we won't talk to them about it because we're uncomfortable because we're not doing it all. Um, we'll start to feel yucky and we'll get mental obsession. We'll come back and we'll believe the lie that we tried AA and it didn't work. And we are not looking at the fact that we didn't clean all of our house in a hallway. And eventually we'll stop doing the work completely and we'll leave AA and we'll either pick up a drink or we'll kill ourselves. Because when our hallway is blocked off from God and then we keep blocking it off from the regular life stuff that we don't want to inventory either, it becomes blocked again and we can't feel or breathe. So I underlined that whole part, and then I underlined, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands, or he would soon start drinking again, and all would be lost anyhow. I underlined in red, soon start drinking again, and all would be lost anyhow, and I love the solution right there. They're telling me, I have to place the outcome in God's hands. That is for everything. So everything I'm currently worried about, I'm thinking of many things, I need to place in God's hands. You would think that this concept, after the amount of time I've been here, would be really clear for me. And it it's not. I have it tattooed on my arm. I do inventories every single day. I talk to about my sponsees about this exact topic. And yet I forget that my biggest tool in my spiritual toolkit is to give it to God. So I wrote next to where it says, soon start drinking again and all will be lost anyhow, that we underlined. I wrote, mental obsession will return. The big book promises us that the mental obsession will return if we don't complete our eighth step list. I've seen girls who did half the work, they got the premises and then they stopped and they wondered why they felt yucky and what was wrong with their program and maybe they should do another fourth step. And I'm like, no, you don't need to do another fourth step. You need to finish your amends and do 10 steps. It says, he attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. The next part is about domestic trouble and infidelity. So, domestic trouble and infidelity, I wrote on 1881. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. I underlined, but drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. And I underlined, after a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. So I wrote on the side, what we do, what we do to people who love us. What we do to people who love us. So... If someone was in love with us or was partnered with us, we make them worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative after we behave the way we do over and over. I have also written down on 81 on the top if you have space. If we are willing to make amends, if we are willing to make amends, God will make that possible. 
God will make that possible. So here's the deal. If I reach out to somebody who I've not seen in a long time and I owe them an amends and they don't respond, I reach out to them privately on social media or I send them an email or I leave them a message and they don't respond. My rule of thumb is I would reach out to them one more time and tell them exactly why I'm reaching out. I'm reaching out to you because I would like to make amends to you. I would love to be able to either sit with you at a coffee shop or if I could FaceTime you so I could make amends face to face. If they don't respond to that, then I need to let it go because they've read exactly why and they're not responding and I need to give it to God. So I physically get on my knees and I say to God, please take Susan and take the amends I want to give to her and whenever she's ready for them, put her in my way and I will make amends to her and give it to God. And that will just be somebody that I owe an amends to and that I'm willing to make amends when the time is right. But we don't want to harm them by like stalking them. It says... How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. I underlined, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? And I wrote next to that, take action. And that's the thing. The thing in sobriety is two things. The book tells me when I don't know what to do about a situation... And I'm facing indecision to pause, to inventory, to pray, to meditate, to ask God for help and wait for the guidance. But it also tells me when I need to deal with something, I need to take action. When I know what I need to deal with, it tells me now, next, now, continue. So those are the two differences. I want to pause and wait and ask and inventory and pray and meditate when I don't know what to do about a situation. When I do know what to do, I want to take action immediately. A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we, I underline the word we, because I'm the one who has to do it, not the person. We usually have to do something about it. I underline have to do something about it. And again, I wrote above that, action. I'm not going to keep talking about it and thinking about it. I'm going to talk about it with my sponsor. If my sponsor agrees that it's time and we discuss how to do it and how to approach the person, then we reach out to them. We never want to show up on someone's door without announcing it because that could also cause more problems. And it's selfish. It says, we usually have to do something about it. I wrote on the side, they deserve more than a letter or a phone call. They deserve more than a letter or a phone call. And the key is willingness. And the letter and the phone call um, is, for me, is to make the appointment. The But the letter and the phone call should not necessarily be the amends. There's a few cases where it needed to be a letter for me. Um, where it was not appropriate for me to show up in person and I went over those with my sponsor and it went fine. Um, but the problem is when you don't get to see someone's face, you don't get to see how we hurt them and how it means physically, how it means to them to have the amends made. It says, if we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? I underlined, not always we think. So they're telling me there's not a black and white answer to anything when it comes to amends. We need to go over our, with our sponsor. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. 
I underlined, we feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. I underlined, we are sorry for what we have done and God willing it shall not be repeated. I kept underlining, more than that we cannot do. We have no right to go further. And I wrote next to that underlined part, I wrote the word directions. So they're giving me very clear directions of what to do, specifically if there's been infidelity and the partner wants to know. So we don't want to tell them the person's name because we don't want our husband or wife to go out and beat somebody up. Um, It's not about what the other person did. It's about what we did that was wrong. It says, though there may be justifiable exceptions and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found that this is the best course to take. And I wrote next to that, each case is different. Each case is different. Look, if one of our partners found on my phone evidence that I cheated and they know exactly who it was with and they saw pictures, I'm not going to lie to them and tell them no. Because I don't want to... The most important thing I want to do is to not lie. Because we need them to trust that we're telling them the truth and that we're making it right. Each case is different, which is why we want to go to our sponsor, to God, to pray, to meditate, to ask for help. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is it is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget on the top of 82, so can she. On the top of 82, I wrote the word jealousy because we're going to be talking about that. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. I underline the next sentence. It's a tool. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. This is an awesome tool if I'm in a relationship. If I'm in an intimate relationship and I have to deal with a situation that affects both me and my partner, instead of always talking it through and figuring it out, I might also want to use this tool, which is to pray about and ask my higher power to help me figure out what would make my partner happy. I only usually think about what would make me happy. So this is a great tool. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face combat. I bracketed the rest of the page. It's really important and we're going to go crazy over it. Um, I wrote on the top next to the bracket apart, have to work program at home for our lifetime. Have to work program at home for our lifetime. And home doesn't necessarily mean physically the house I live in. The house I live in, thank God, is owned by me and my three children and my husband who lives in another state comes every other weekend. So the house I live in is people that were never affected by my act of alcoholism, but they are all people who are affected by my sobriety and my being a recovered alcoholic. And so I owe them everything. But the other home I owe it to is my parents who were the most affected by my alcohol, by my alcoholism, who I do not live with and who I owe to be a good daughter and to reach out to them and to be kind and thank them and to not tell them when I'm having a really hard time that I want to kill myself like I used to when I first got sober, to tell that to someone who's emotionally unaffected and to show up when I can and to help out when I can and to be as good of a daughter as I can be to make up for what I wasn't when I was using. So the idea that they're going to talk about in this paragraph is basically what smashes out of the water anybody in the fellowship of AA who says all you have to do is stay sober. And what the book tells us right here from the first 100 men and women is that's not true. 
it says, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. I underlined, sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't. I underlined, but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. So we cannot say that. We cannot say that the only thing I need to do is keep sober. Maybe for day like one through four. And then the rest of the time we need to be doing way more. Passing all understanding as the patients mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. If it wasn't for my parents, I would have been homeless. There's no gray about that. There's, it's super clear. If, there, if it wasn't for my parents, I would have been homeless. I would not have been able to go to college. I would not have had food. I only got by because of them. It says, the alcoholic is like a tornado. So I bracketed all this. Roaring his way through the lives of others. I underlined, hearts are broken. I underlined, sweet relationships are dead. And I underlined, affections have been uprooted. And then in red, I underlined the next two sentences. Selfish and inconsiderate inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. I put a star. We feel, that's the first 100 men and women, we feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. And I circle that word, unthinking. Wow, how would I like to be described as unthinking? What my mom always said to me was, you think the entire world revolves around you. And I had no idea what she was talking about until I did. And now I realize I did. And my, I have kids who do that too. I wrote on the side, sobriety is not enough. Sobriety is not enough. And I wrote, in, I wrote if we do not change, we do not change. So I have to change more than my breath. I cannot just be sober. I have to change the way I live, especially around the people who I hurt the most. And that starts from day one of sobriety. I remember hearing this lead. I loved him. I don't know who he was, but he was a young guy in AA. And and he said that his sponsor told him, because he caused so much trouble at home and everyone was always angry at him and he lived at home, that he was, for the next, for six months... He was not allowed to speak at home unless he was spoken to. He was not allowed to ask questions. He was not allowed to complain. He was not allowed to tell anyone what to do or whine about anything. He was only allowed to help out at home, empty the dishwasher, take out the garbage, clean up his room. And he was only allowed to respond if he was spoken to. And he said halfway through that, his parents came up to him and they said, we don't know what you're doing with that AA thing, but keep it up. Things have been wonderful at home. They had no idea that he wasn't talking. They just saw someone who was finally being helpful and who was not sucking like a vacuum all of the joy out of life. So I love this sentence that we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. So me just being sober is not enough. I need to do more. I need to give back, make it right. Be useful to my higher power. Show up for other people. It doesn't mean I'm going to have great days all the time. I have plenty of days that are nightmare days that I wish that the central office was not videotaping me while I was doing those days. I've had days where I've really fallen short in every area. But being just being sober is not enough. It says, he is like the farmer who came up from out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? I wrote on the bottom, this person is not using his new mind. 
this person is not using his new mind. Someone who comes out of a tornado says, I don't see anything wrong here. Isn't it great to stop blowing and the entire place is ruined. This person is not using his new mind, has not been restored to sanity. He cannot see the destruction. Until we get to a place where we can really live, I get to live in this house. I get to clean out the litter box. I get to empty the dishwasher. Because really, based on how I used to treat you guys, I should not be allowed in your house. I should not be allowed to drive your car. I should not be allowed to be trusted with your family members or anything. And I get to do it. We forget so quickly. On the top of 83, I wrote, I bracketed that first paragraph and I wrote in big letters, how to make amends to family, which is the most important place to make the amends. It is so easy to be Mr. or Miss AA for an hour in meetings or even to be there a little early and to greet and set up and take down and be the greatest AA ever. But what am I like at home? And what am I like with my family? And am I a jerk still? So I underlined, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. I underlined, we must take the lead. And I wrote next to that, action. And I also wrote on the top of 83, amends equals changing my behavior. Change. This is about change. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. I underlined, being very careful not to criticize them. It is not about what they did to us. We cannot go to our family and say, well, because you were such a jerk to me, that's why I was such a mean person to you. We do not talk about what they did. The book says, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. I underlined, so we clean house with the family. And then I underlined, asking each morning a meditation that our creators show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And I wrote on the side, 11th step. And I wrote, what to ask for. So I'm allowed to ask my higher power specifically for these things every single morning. The book tells me. Here's a direction. I underline, the spiritual life is not a theory. I underline and circled, we have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think, I underlined, we ought not to urge them. So we don't, we don't want to push this on anybody. That's so unattractive. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. I underlined, they will change in time. And then I underlined and put a star next to, our behavior will convince them more than our words. Which is basically my creed. Don't listen to what I say. Watch what I do. Watch me change. And then I don't have to say a word about it. I wrote on the side, demonstration, we have to change the way we think and act. Demonstration. So I have to demonstrate that I'm changing the way that I think and the way that I act. That cannot be in words only. It has to be in action. Which is why I usually have girls make amends to people that they're not around first and start really helping out at home or showing up or sending a card to your grandma or, um, you know, coming by the house and seeing what you can do to help or when you're at family functions, not just sitting there on your butt, getting up and helping clean, constantly cleaning and helping in the kitchen. So by the time you sit down and make amends to them, after like a month of doing all your other amends, your family will have seen a changed person. It says, we must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. And I wrote on the side, takes time. 
We're going to read this last paragraph because next week we'll do this nine step premises so because it, it leads us right into step 10. There may be some wrongs we can never fully write. I underlined, we don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen, so I've heard of a lot of people who have lost a loved one who they own amends to, and they've gone to their graveside and read a letter out loud to them that they wrote. Um, there's many different ways, and it's totally personal and intimate, and you can talk about it with somebody else who has been there. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. I underline the next two sentences. But we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. So we're going to stop right there. Next week, we'll start at the nine-step promises and get into step 10. And I'm so grateful for this time and this opportunity. I hope you have an amazing week. It's totally up to you.